I want to talk to you today about our inheritance in Christ. It's very important that you know when you're living, but you need to know that you have an inheritance. This is not something that's a minor thing in your life. The Bible spends a lot of time on it. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 3, and we're going to really look at some of these scriptures because you need to know that you have been given an inheritance in Christ. I mean, you should be excited about that. Could you imagine if you, if you found out some loved one died and passed away and left you, and you didn't even know who they were, but you got a call from an attorney's office and said, hey, they left you $20 million. Would you be a little excited about that? Well, we should be more excited every moment of every day of our life because Jesus died and then he rose again, but we became an heir of God. Jesus said, everything that the Father has is mine, and the Bible calls us co-heirs. So Satan will try to get us stressed out about paying for a home when we own the planet. So we got to keep things in perspective. But we have to understand what our inheritance is. We have to understand literally how God set this up. And I, and I pray today that by the Holy Spirit, he'll show you some things. You know, as a pastor, what my gift will do is through this preaching thing, the Holy Spirit is the teacher today. And he'll break down what he's given me, but he'll break it down individually to each of us. So expect answers to come. Expect light to come. Expect strength to come to equip you to walk out God's plan for your life. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Look at what it says now. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, is hath, future tense, present tense, or is it past tense? It's past tense. So in other words, would, would it be fair to say this is something that's already happened? Right? That's absolutely true. He hath blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? All of them. <laughs> that's amazing. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, the word places, it, it, it's not in the original, so it would read in the original Greek, who hath blessed us with all, spirit, or all spiritual blessings in heavenly, in the heavenlies in Christ. That's the way it would literally read. The King James translators, and you could tell in a King James Bible, it's in italics, the word places, because it's not in the manuscripts, but they simply added it to bring clarity to the text. In this verse, it brings great clarity, right? But we have to realize the word of God is telling us we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. As you're sitting here today as a child of God, you're not going to be blessed. You already are. So here's the game that Satan plays. Satan, who is our adversary, 
That is who he is. That word adversary is the word antideikos. It means one who is violently opposed to righteousness. Our adversary has been stripped of all power. He has no power, no delegated influence, no authority anymore in your life as a child of God. We're going to prove that with the word today. But what he is a master of, he, he uses two t- tools. And you know, we could very easily see the two t- tools. If you just literally watch the news, you can see them. It is deception. He's a master deceiver. He's been doing it a long time. This is why we must put on the whole armor of God. We must, or I, I should say it correctly, Ephesians 6, we must allow the, the whole armor of God, God's very armor, to manifest upon us as we draw from his power constantly so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. He comes down one road one way and he throws thoughts in your mind. He'll use circumstances and people, but people are never our enemy. Circumstances have nothing to do with overpowering us because we're already victorious, but he will use them to deceive us into thinking that we're not blessed. That's the whole game. And then his second tool is intimidation. He will intimidate. You better do this or else. And if he ever says that to you, a great response is, or else what? For it is written. What else do you have? Because I... I, I am not going to believe what you say because Jesus said the truth's not in you. You can't even tell the truth. But the word of God says that Jesus said, I am the truth. And the truth says you've been stripped. And I've been giving, given all the authority in the name of Jesus. And whatever I bind on this earth will be bound in heaven. In other words, heaven will back me up. Whatever I loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So it seems like, or what, is kind of silly. So so step number one, you've been blessed with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Notice, all the blessings are in Christ. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Romans defines in Christ. You are in Christ... If so be, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So if if you're born again and the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you, you are in Christ. The Bible says all the promises of God are in Christ, yes, and in Christ, amen. Notice this is why when you come here, all you're going to hear from this pulpit, no matter who's up here, is going in any Bible study, it's going to be the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. Under the anointing, under the anointing, under the anointing. Because why? What else is there? There's nothing else. My opinion will not help you, but the Word of God will transform your life. Right? So now, if you look at this, this is what we must have clarity on. This is not just talking about the blessing of Abraham. Okay, The other thing, and we're going to look at that, because it's more. 
you must also, number two, you have to exercise your right to walk in these things. The reason why is this. God made man with a free will. Do you know that God owns me? I was bought with a price. My spirit, my soul, and my body are his. They belong to him. Now, if, if, if sickness has ever attacked your body, get excited about that. Because I love talking to God. Oh, hey, Father, uh, I just thank you. I believe I receive healing for my body, which uh, is your body. Right? See, I completely belong to him. He, Jesus is my Lord. And what happens when, when I get saved, I literally give God my life. But then what does God do with my life? He gives it back to me. Because God doesn't drive anybody. He leads them. Godly leadership says, follow me as I'm following Christ. Satanic leadership says, you're going to do this. You're going to wear this. You're going to go here. This is what you're going to do, but not me. Right? That's, and it, it, Satan will always drive you. He'll attempt to. God will always lead you. And God can never violate your will. So this is why he's provided all of these things by his grace. But we must receive through faith what he has given us by his grace. So this is so important. This is why we must exercise our right to walk in this. I go to my father, right? And I, and I, and I exercise my right. I, I exercise my right in the name of Jesus. Father, you said Jesus himself bore my sickness and carried my pain. So I declare that I don't have to carry this. So that this, this disease or this pain in my body must leave. It has no legal right. Jesus was made poor on the cross so that I, through his poverty, might be made rich. The blessing of Abraham makes rich, and he had, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Right? The word rich doesn't mean you drive a Rolls Royce. It means a full and abundant supply. It means you'll always have more than enough. Why would you want to drive a Rolls Royce? You wouldn't, you, would, it wouldn't, you wouldn't enjoy it if it's not your path. But everything pertaining to my path, he's already provided for. Everything pertaining to your path, he's already provided for. Right? And so, so God has provided these things, but I've got to exercise my right. So let's get into this, because I made a statement that could have rocked you. That this is not just talking about the blessing of Abraham. Right? So let's bring some clarity to that. I kind of did that on purpose. That's one of those Henri Pastor things. But we will we'll get in the word because I want you to see this. Go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Man, you guys are really receptive this morning. This is awesome. See, she just said amen. That's awesome. That's right. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. It says here... Again, Christ hath, past tense, redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
The curse of the law, what is that? That's the curse that came on man as a result of man breaking God's laws. The Bible said when Adam sinned, when he literally chose to sin, he violated what God's word said. It opened a door and sin came into this earth realm and also death came into this earth realm because of that. The Bible even talks about today how that the whole creation is yearning for this curse to be lifted off. God is not the originator of the curse. The enemy is. But it came because of man's disobedience. So, but it says Christ, now think about this, hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. So this is something that's already happened. So as you are sitting here today, if the Bible is true, then you've been redeemed from the curse. So therefore, if there's anything in your life that looks like a curse, it has no right in your life. And you've got to understand, well then, if, I, if this has already happened, so then why do people get sick? Why do I struggle? Because Satan operates as an outlaw. He does not play by the rules unless you make him. And you can make him. Because, not, because of, not because you're anything, but because you're everything in Christ. Right? So it says, so let's look at this word redeemed. It literally means to buy. Christ bought us. It means to ransom. In other words, Christ paid a ransom for you to be bought out of the curse of the law. Right? It literally means to rescue out of one place, but it's not enough. Redeemed is a different word. Not just to be rescued out of the curse of the law. No, it's so much better than that. The word redeemed in the Greek literally means and to be placed into a new place. And we're going to look at that place because that place is the kingdom of God. If you look at the Pauline epistles, and we're going to look at several of them today, it will, it literally, we're going up the same mountain different ways. All of the epistles, which is where you should live as a believer, you should grow in great revelation knowledge. Now, do you throw out the Old Testament? Don't throw out the Old Testament. But make sure you understand New Testament truth. Otherwise, you're going to be like, okay, I'm not understanding this or that because you've got to dig in the Old Testament. You know, it'll, you, have to, you have to, whenever you come up to something in the Bible and it doesn't make sense based on other scriptures, don't freak out, just relax. Ask God to help you. And he will help you with several scriptures that show you how it all fits. Because the word, it fits. God is good all the time. Right? But if you don't understand New Testament truth, you might think God's different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. But how can that be true if he says he doesn't change? I've got you thinking now, don't I? Now, the situation's different because now he's dealing with New Testament believers who are born again. In the Old Testament, they were not born again. So God had to deal legally with them. 
And if, if they would obey him, it gave him, because he was in covenant with them, and who was, the cov- who, was, who was the guarantee of that covenant? Jesus. But if they would obey him, it's like they were under this umbrella, and man, they would be blessed. He had a legal right to come in and bless them. But if they would disobey, then you see it in the Old Testament. Eventually, God, the righteous judge of all the earth, would have to literally render judgment upon them and allow the enemy access and all of a sudden you got them going into captivity dying getting sick all this stuff but the minute they turn to god what happens he's right there forgiving he's you know and then he they get started again and the whole old testament was designed to show that they needed a messiah they needed jesus because they couldn't keep the law so if they did something then god would be able to do something It's not like that in the New Testament. Now, in the New Testament, God already did it. When were you healed? When were you provided everything? When were you blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ? 1,990 years ago, way before you were ever born. So now, once I receive Christ and I'm his child, I am given this inheritance. And now it's a different progression. It's not, if I do this, then God will do this. No, no. Now, God's already done it. So it's not a matter of him doing something for me now. It's a matter of me reaching out through faith, which only comes one way, by hearing God's word. I am amazed at how many people who would say, man, I'm a word of faith. I just, I'm all about the word. I'm a word of faith person that, I hear what they're believing God for, and I'm like, there's no scriptures that back up what you're saying. So you're telling me you're in faith, but it's impossible to be in faith if you haven't heard the word. Right? So literally, though, now the progression is who I am in Christ, now I've already been healed, so now I reach out. As I hear the word of God, I reach out. Father, I thank you. I believe I receive my healing. And now sickness, I command you in Jesus' name, you've got to leave my body. Poverty and lack, you've got to get out of my life. Emotions calm down. Fear, you leave. Right? I mean, this is the way it works. So the progression's different. That's it. But we live in the epistles. Do you know the epistles, all they really do is show you it's, it's getting you to see what you've already been given. And I want you to see that today. So Christ, past tense, has bought me out of the curse of the law and placed me into the kingdom of God. Wow. I love that. Now the curse of the law, the curse that came upon man as a result of breaking God's law, it was really threefold. If you look at the curse of the law, and really Deuteronomy chapter 28 will lay out the curse of the law. But it it dealt with spiritual death, came upon man, and predominantly it's sickness, disease, and pain, and poverty and lack. The Bible is saying, not me, Jesus is saying, right? He is the word, is literally saying, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. How did that happen? It says here that Christ was made a curse for us. 
that literally Jesus, it says, for it is written, now, now the word of God, Paul writing to the church at Galatia, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 21. He says, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So we see how, what was the price that was paid? It wasn't a small price. Jesus took your place and took my place. And he didn't hang on a cross and say, okay, it's almost done. Or he didn't say it's 75% done, the other 25% is yours. Nope, he said it is finished. Right? So this, at the time, Paul wrote this to Gentiles. And we have to see this. Because the problem is not that man is a sinner. The problem is that man is spiritually dead. That's why, he's, that's why he sins. So we've been redeemed from spiritual death. If you're a child of God, you're not spiritually dead anymore. Now you have this old nature still in your flesh. But one day you're going to get a glorified body that won't have that anymore. And that, that nature in your flesh right now will war, not against your spirit, because it can't, but it'll war against your mind. That's why we have to renew our mind with the word of God. The curse comes from the Mosaic covenant. And that, that covenant, the curse was literally twofold. Mainly it was sickness and poverty. So the law, the curse of the law, it was either talking about the Ten Commandments or it was talking about the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch was the first five books that Moses authored, that he penned. Now, if you look at the Ten Commandments, there's no curse. So we know it had to come from this Mosaic covenant. It came from the law it's talking about is the Pentateuch, the law that's laid out by Moses. He penned it. So we are redeemed from the entire curse of the law. You have to know that. You're not going to be. You already are. You're not going to be blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. You already are. Okay? So now, the covenant, it doesn't belong to the Jews, it belongs to the church. It all transferred over in the church age to the church. Well, can a Jew become part of this? Absolutely. But they've got to be born into the church. Right? Now, they will say that they're children of Abraham, but according to the New Testament, we are really the true children of Abraham. Right? So let's look at this. Verse 14 now of Galatians. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Why? He did that, that the blessing of Abraham might come on us as Gentiles. The blessing. This literally, this word means, this blessing, is, it, the word means an endowment of power from God that will produce good things in your life. It also means a liberal pool of resources to help and bless other people with. 
so the ble- that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Christ or through Jesus Christ, and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. In other words, we have been, according to the Word of God, separated from the curse and separated to the blessing. Does that make sense? Now, and it's okay if you get all excited and you see this and you run, scream, just you could run outside, run around, come back in. It's okay. I mean, people people paint themselves red, put a big N on their chest when Nebraska scores a touchdown. And what I've just told you ensures that the rest of your life is set. This is this is a little bit beyond that, right? Being redeemed from spiritual death literally enables us, gives us the honor and enables us to have the very life of God imparted into us. Wow. So spiritual death, what is that? It means man's spirit is separated from God. Right? What is physical death, which is a result of spiritual death? Spiritual death, God told Adam, in the day that you eat of this tree, it says you shall surely die. Well, obviously Adam lived 900 and some years after that. But in in the Hebrew dialect, you just have to look at the Hebrew words. God said in the day that you eat of that tree, in dying you shall die. What did he mean? Literally the moment Adam ate that fruit and Eve ate that fruit, they died spiritually. And it took over 900 years for that curse to kill him. But that spiritual death ultimately brought on physical death. The only reason why our physical bodies are aging is because they're under the curse still. But our glorified body won't ever die. The reason why you could be 95 years old and you, and you look in a mirror... And you look at yourself and go, that's not who I am. It's because your spirit's eternal. Right? I mean, to me, I'm still 27, 28 years old. I look in the mirror and I'm like, that is not who I am. Right? But if I were to ever get on a basketball court, I would know immediately that I'm not 27 or 28 years old. Right? So physical death is just a manifestation. You know, this is why... Physical death, literally, what the word death means for us, it means it's literally defined in the Greek as separation. What's going to happen if the Lord tarries? What happens at death? We just literally step out of our body. To be honest with you, it will be the most exhilarating feeling you'll ever feel. Because then you'll be in the presence of God. It'll be amazing. Yeah. If you have loved ones who knew the Lord and they're in heaven... Don't look at a picture of them when they were older because that's not what they look like. Look at them what they look like when they were 25, 30 years old, whatever, right? God did something in us so that he could do, put something on us. He literally redeemed us from the curse of the law so that, right? He redeemed us from the curse of the law so now we could receive him be born again, be brand new, so now he could put the blessing of Abraham on us. The blessing of Abraham. So here's the gospel message. Jesus has ransomed us from the curse 
so that God's blessing could come upon man. Now you might think, yeah, okay, so I understand that. But how could I tell that to somebody who doesn't even believe in God or know about God? Do you know when you first started reading the Bible, did it not make any sense to you? Even if you, if you could be, a lot of times you could be in the church for 50 years, but if you haven't spent a lot of time in the word, it's like you're reading this stuff and you're going, okay, new believers, I have no idea what it's saying, right? But then what happens is, man, you start understanding some things, but then it just starts getting so big, you're going, wow, I see it clearly, but I see just a little bit of it because there's a lot. See, what I'm saying is all this stuff is spiritual. I challenge you to get up every morning and say, okay, I am available today, Lord. You open doors of utterance to me. You bring me into people's lives. And as you lead me, I'll give them the gospel message. Hey, did you know that Jesus Christ redeemed you from the curse so that he could bless you? You'll be amazed that all of a sudden people, I mean, people might laugh at you. They don't see it. But that statement will also go, what? You mean God wants to bless me? Right? See, all these things, right now we have a church full of people that doesn't ever tell anybody about Jesus because I don't know enough. Time out. Are you born again? How did you get born again? Well, I just simply invited, oh, then you know enough. Right? So let's just call it for what it really is. You're distracted. That's all it is. But we don't have to be distracted. So let's keep going with this. The blessing of Abraham and the promise of the Spirit through faith, you could put in your notes, equals all the spiritual blessings listed in Ephesians 1.3. The blessing of Abraham and the promise of the Spirit through faith equals all these spiritual blessings listed in Ephesians 1.3. Not either or. Because we get into this either or thing. See, the Jewish people, they had temporal blessings When I say temporal, I mean in their life. They had houses, they had businesses, they had money, they had herds. They had temporal blessings. We have been given spiritual blessings. So let me me finish that statement. We have been given spiritual blessings and temporal blessings. Not either or. So everything, see... See, here's the deal. All of the spiritual blessings that I've been given enforce the temporal blessings. Jesus was made poor so that I would have an abundant supply. That, will, that spiritual blessing will produce debts being paid off, houses, cars. It'll produce all of that natural stuff. And this is why the prosperity message goes awry if it's spoken in such a way where it gets people seeking things. Because according to the word of God, if you seek the things, 
you can't get them. But if you seek him, he will add them to you. Why? Because the spiritual blessings will enforce them. So in other words, this is prosperity. I don't have to worry about money. I don't have to keep my eye on it. Right? I just literally keep my eyes on Jesus. I meditate in the word. And as I live my life, if a desire comes up, I lay hold of it and I keep my eyes on him and he just adds it. Well, pastor, are you saying, do you not care about money? I refuse to care about money. I I enjoy you know, like our home, we really, I mean, I like our home. I really like it. We, we own a home, but the home does not own us. It's not the source of our joy. It doesn't make us content, right? We were at a couple's house in our church yesterday, and uh, their, their son got married, and man, they have this beautiful home on a lake, and if you talk to them, they're like, oh, yeah, we, we just, man, we're just, we love this thing. It's awesome. Uh, you know, we're going to be able to have ministry out here and grandkids and all this stuff. But then they'll tell you, but, you know, we could live in an apartment. It's no big deal. Because it's not the source of their joy. You know, and we've seen them do that. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, see, as a Christian, he is our fulfillment. Not these temporal blessings, but it's important that you walk in all of them so that you show the world how good God is. So this is huge. If you don't understand heavenly places in Christ, you won't be able to understand spiritual blessings. So let's look at Ephesians 1.3 again. Now I could tell right now you're like, okay, we've got all these pieces of the puzzle floating around. Don't worry about that. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring all the pieces together for you. So your job is to simply just start meditating on these scriptures. Start meditating on Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Start meditating on Ephesians 1, 3. See how the Holy Spirit will start bringing it together. So Ephesians 1.3 again, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So the literal meaning of this, if I were to take all the Greek words and just read it, it would read like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the spirit realm in Christ. Wow. See, there's temporal truth and there's positional truth. And you, in order to understand the epistles, you've got to understand the two. Temporal truth is your behavior. It's just the natural where you are. Right? Positional truth is spiritual. So as an example, the Bible is very clear that all of us as believers are seated together in heavenly places in Christ. So right now, positionally, I am seated in heavenly places in Christ. Temporally, I'm standing 
on the earth at faith in this building we call Faith Family Church talking with you. So that's, that's, that's the difference, right? So that's positional versus temporal truth. We are positionally seated in Christ. Wow, in heavenly places. Well, other scriptures tell us where that is. We're literally seated in Christ at the right hand of God. Positionally. Satan, the Greek word is, and all of his uh, delegated influence, all of his delegated influence, principalities, powers, demons, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, right? The Bible says that it's, they're so far under our feet that it shouldn't even be compared in the Greek. That's, that's the, this is the reality. See, if, if you'll just focus on this, you'll start getting revelation of it, and it will change your life and all that you come in contact with. This is one reason that the church has substituted God's promises of temporal blessings and material blessings, right, that were identified in the blessing of Abraham. The, the church has substituted those for the spiritual blessings in Christ. Because somehow people think there was an exchange made. That, okay, we gave up all these temporal blessings or gave up all the spiritual blessings and now, okay, we have the blessing of Abraham. But nobody ever walks into temporal blessing because spiritual blessings enforce temporal blessings. Right? It's like in Deuteronomy, he says, I've given you power to get wealth. It, it, it literally, if you, if you study that scripture out... I've given, you, I've given you wealth to get wealth. If you go deeper into it, you realize I did something spiritually for you and that will produce natural wealth. I did something spiritual for you so that'll produce natural health. Do you see that? So, so this is how it works. People think there was an exchange made, but the Bible does not say that we have a different or a substitute covenant. It doesn't say that. Hebrews 8, 6 says we have a better covenant which was established on better promises. Not different, better. So better means it includes everything in the other one plus. It includes all the temporal blessing plus the spiritual blessing. Wow. There's only one covenant. Fulfilling the, old, uh, the fulfilling of the old covenant, God's covenant with the Jews through the finished work of Jesus is the completion of the one covenant he made with Abraham. But God doesn't have one covenant with the Jews and another with the church. God has one covenant with the family of God. And it's better. It includes all of it. God's people in the old covenant were the physical descendants of Abraham. Once Jesus came along, it became a spiritual family instead of a natural family. Jesus fulfilled it and made it better. Right? I bought Camrys forever. And every one that I've bought, has, it has everything the other one had, but just... Some new stuff too. That's the way this covenant is. Right? 
Now we have a spiritual position in Christ that enables us to do what? To use God's authority, to use God's power, and to walk in his blessings that are in the name of Jesus and to carry out God's plan and purpose in the earth in a much greater way. We have these spiritual blessings. See, Abraham was totally dependent upon God to do everything. He was totally dependent upon God. Now we have authority to operate with God's help under God's umbrella of blessing and authority so that you can carry out his will on the earth. This is how we live. So Moses, this is why Moses, you've heard me say this before, Moses is a type of a New Testament believer. It says that Moses spoke to God face to face. We're his child. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Moses understood things about God that no one else could. For us as New Testament believers, God's like, here I am. You can know me. As a matter of fact, all the epistles are that you may know me. As a matter of fact, even the Gospels, John defined eternal life as knowing God. Right? I love that. So in Exodus chapter 14, you see this. See, God God gave Moses a staff, right? You've heard me say this. That staff, he gave him a staff. That was a type of the name of Jesus. So he's standing at the Red Sea with probably two to three million Jews, and the, the most fierce, powerful army on the planet is coming to kill them, and the Red Sea is right in front of them. So God is crying out to Moses. Read it, Exodus 14. It's really crazy because he's like, God, you got to help me. And God's response to him was really strange. Why are you talking to me? Moses is probably like, what do you mean, why am I talking to you? Because Did you notice? Right? God says, use what I gave you and part the Red Sea. And the Bible says that he used the staff, and then it says, and God parted the Red Sea. Do you see how that works? Can you, are you the healer when you lay hands, somebody on, lay hands on somebody in the name of Jesus? No. But when you use the name of Jesus, then God moves. Doesn't that make sense? If you want to go and get some bread out of your pantry, how do you do that? You walk in and you take your hand, or in other words, you use your body to get that. That's exactly what God does. He uses his body in the earth. We are the body of Christ. So this is really awesome, right? So let's keep going. The place, I'm still talking about all spiritual blessings in Christ. The place of all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, it is a place of authority. It's a place of authority. Now the mature believer, he doesn't pray for God to do things for him He already knows that God already did it for him. We live on the earth, but have a place of spiritual authority. What place is that? The same one that Jesus has. This is why 
Now, have you noticed, it says, as he is, so are we in this world. Not as he was when he lived on the earth. As he is now, because we're seated with him. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says this, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, once you and I know his will, how do we know his will? We go to his word because his word is his will. But once we know his will, and I look, I find two or three scriptures that show me what his will is on something. Once I know God's will, it's now a matter of me as his child acting on the authority in the name of Jesus to carry it out. That's, that's, how, we, that's how we live. See, we're begging God to do things for us and it's not working because God already did it. And he's trying to prompt us to use my name, stand in your authority, speak to the mountain, and I'll move the mountain. This, this, is, this, is, this has to be preached. I mean, I could sense it right now. We're, we're getting a little glimpse of this every once in a while. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will take you deep into this. I think I'm about out of preschool. And preschool's powerful, man. You could, you, you could punch Satan in the faith, face all day as a preschooler in this. It's so much power, right? Ephesians 1.3 is telling us it's literally, you could write it right in your Bible. This literally means that we have been given everything we need. Right now, you have everything. You have the ability to bring the very presence and the very power of God into your situation. We have limited authority in other people's lives, but still, man... We can speak life and God can move. Invite him into your children's life. Invite him into your marriage. Invite him into every arena of your life. Watch him bring dead things back to life. Right? Because all of us sitting here, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past, we have, we have not messed up our future. It's just not messed up. So Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 11. Let's look at this. It says here, in whom, talking about in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. So let's break this down. In whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him. Of him what? That works all things after the counsel of his own will. God, this word worketh literally means that God puts his power into things that are his will. He'll put his healing power 
into Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, into Galatians 3.13, into Isaiah 54, into Psalm 107.20, all these scriptures on healing. He'll put his power, his healing power in that and heal your body. Now, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, and then here we go. The minute we say being predestinated, we think, oh, I, because, I, because God preplanned this for me. But, but let's look at the context of it. It's not the individual that's predestinated. It's the position in Christ that is predestinated. So this isn't God's going, okay, you know, hey, John, I did this for you, but I'm not going to do it for Tony. No, 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 no. It's saying this position in Christ has been pre-planned by God. For who? For whosoever will, let him come. For everyone. This is a place in Christ for whoever will receive it. Hallelujah. And it's man's choice to choose See, in Paul's day when he wrote this, it was a predominantly Jewish church. In our day, it's a predominantly Gentile church. But all God's blessings flow through Jesus. So now, let's go over real quick because I, I, I need to show you this as well. 2 Peter chapter 1. We might have to do this one more week because i got to get into some other scriptures. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, although I could probably preach on this for a decade. 2 Peter 1, 3, it says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life. That is the Greek word zoe. That is the life of God. God power has given us all things that pertain unto Zoe life and godliness. See, Jesus said, I've come that you might have Zoe life and have it more abundantly. And godliness, this is the Greek word. It means a reverence and respect for God that is shown in devotion and holiness. Life and godliness... You could put this down as one meaning, life plus godliness equals needs. It'll meet every need that you'll ever have in your life. They've already been met, already been done. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Isn't that amazing? As you walk in the righteousness of God, you'll walk holy before God. The reason why the church doesn't look any different from the world, the reason why we have believers that are like, I'm willing to do this, but I'm not willing to do this, is because they don't know God. They might know him as their savior, but they just don't know who they are in him. They don't know that they've been made righteous. So you have Christians, they sleep around, they, they go out and get drunk just like the world. They look just like the world, but they think they're saved and they flock to churches that will preach nice little entertaining messages that don't really help them. It just makes them feel okay. But Satan's winning in their life. And then, then people who think, well, I'm holy. No, you're prideful. 
Because a person who walks in true holiness, they just know that they've been made righteous because holiness flows out of righteousness. So if you have a Christian that's living out of their flesh, they'll look just like the world, and all it means is they don't know they've been made righteous. But if they'll get right, if they'll, if they'll literally feed on scriptures and get revelation knowledge that they've been made righteous, they'll walk holy. Why? Because God... His divine power gave us everything that pertains to life and godliness. But how does it come? It comes through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. It all comes through the knowledge of him. And this is not just knowledge. This is very very precise knowledge that's acquired as you walk it out. It's by being a doer of the word. That knowledge comes. And then it says in verse 4, whereby, or you could, the, the King James says whereby, you could translate it through this or by which are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Isn't that awesome? It says that by these exceeding great and precious promises, you might be a partaker of his very divine nature. Wow. Having escaped the corruption. This, this word corruption means you've, dis, you've escaped the ruin, the decay, the wasting away that is in the world through lust. The Bible is very clear that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. It has no ability to fulfill you and is passing away. It's passing away. So you could try to dedicate your life to have a bigger house and, a, and more vehicles and, and all this stuff and you know influence in life and power and all this stuff and, you could, and it'll never fulfill you and you'll miss God's plan for your life because it's not designed to fulfill you. It's literally living life on a much lower level. See, this verse is talking about desires. Obtaining this divine nature. Wow. If God would make his divine nature available to me, how could I possibly believe that God would ever withhold a desire from my heart? He wouldn't. Right? So I'm going to finish with this. I know I'm going a little long. That's okay. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. I just, I want to show you another saying the same thing as Galatians. Really show you your position. Colossians 1.13 says, Who hath, past tense, delivered us. This is in the Greek, aorist tense. This means that this action that is spoken of is viewed as complete, is viewed as done, it's viewed as whole, it's a one Time action. Who hath delivered us? Literally, you could read it this way once and for all from the power of darkness. This is the Greek word authority. And translated us or transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. The literal rendering of this verse would read this way if you look at all the Greek words. Who has once and for all rescued us 
out of the authority of darkness and hath transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Today, as you're sitting here, Satan has no delegated authority in your life. None. If you have little kids, no, he has no, no delegated authority. You are their authority. Right? So why do I feel bound? The illusion of bondage continues. Where is, where is it continuing at? It's an illusion of bondage. It's in your mind. And all you need to do is renew your mind and you'll realize this is what happens as you renew your mind to the word. You're like, wow, wait a minute. I am free. Wow, I am healed. You look at your checkbook and there's not enough money in it and you smile and go, no, the money will be there. Right? This is how, I've given you a little glimpse into your inheritance. I wish I could go more into some of these scriptures. Maybe, Maybe next week if the Lord leads us, we will. But you are free. You've already been blessed with all things that pertain to life and godliness. The curse of the law, you've been bought out of it and transferred into the kingdom of God. You've been taken out of the delegated influence of darkness. Satan will yell and scream and try to intimidate and deceive, but he has no delegated authority over you. You have the authority in the name of Jesus to allow God into your life to change all the circumstances of your life to come perfectly in line to what God says. And that's not my opinion. That is, that is Bible. And there are so many other scriptures we could back this up with. Man, I'll tell you, I've been, I've been teaching this stuff for a long time. I've had people just, that is just, you know, people with letters behind their names, but they can never dispute this because they never come at me with, it is written. They come at me with, I think, and in my opinion, and theologian so-and-so said. But no, 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 this is from the head of the church. This is what he's saying to you. Isn't that good news?